talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Geopolitical commentator and investigative journalist, you're listening to Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk, TNT. TNT. Hi, and welcome to Friday's edition of the Pella Neuroth-Taylor show. Well, today uh, hasn't seen any uh, really worrying news, so I think we'll indulge ourselves in a little bit of more Google bashing. Um, it's uh, it's quite significant in a way, although it's sort of lighthearted on the surface. Um, we'll just recall that uh, Google's AI app called Google Gemini uh, produced just uh, black faces when you were typing in images, uh, image requests for 17th century British physicists or 20th cent- 19th century Scottish crofters. And... Um, or uh, 20th, 1942 uh, Wehrmacht soldiers, that's the German army. Uh, you had Chinese faces and uh, black faces with the famous Nazi helmet. Obviously, that has no uh, correspondence in reality. And um, there's a lot of mirth and laughter and uh, also criticism of Google. And they promised to rectify that after there was a story in Fox News, which had a, a broad reach on the issue. But uh, the Google bashing has continued into second day with more memes, um, also bashing of other woke companies that dominate our lives like Netflix. Uh, If there's a Netflix series on polar bears, somebody said it would be, and then they showed a picture of of a black or a brown bear. I thought that was quite funny. Um, And then you've got one on, on Tsars of Russia from the 19th to the 20th century. And also they were black. Um, Now, anyway, um, and somebody else found uh, the Twitter feeds of uh, the heads of the Google AI department, uh, which were filled with the, the long screeds on uh, racism dominant dominant in our society. I mean, sort of beyond the usual nice phrases about humanism and so on, but really going on about it. So obviously, they're real activists in charge there. Now, I mean, there are two ways to look at this. One is that uh, young people will always irritate old people. They will find new things to Épater les bourgeois or irritate the bourgeois as well. Um, I remember this is a view taken by my parents who were worked in advertising and design and uh, were part of swinging 60s London. And um, they were always part of the sort of hippie revolution as well. And uh, the the pop art of that era enormously irritated the, the umbrella welding uh, bowler hatted gents of the city. And I hope I'm not a latter day equivalent of it. Um, it, 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 uh, these uh, these middle-aged people settled down, uh, these young people settled down into middle age and uh, they were just sort of looking for new ways of expression. So is this transgender movement and homosexuality promotion and uh, and the white elimination from advertising and uh, AI images um, just another way of self-expression or is it serious? Well, and that's the other view, which is that... Um, uh, the elimination of people's images and, and reputations and, and rewriting history, as this is a primitive attempt at, is can precede uh, genocide and serious actions like that. Uh, we won't forget that the Rwanda genocide of 1994, uh, when the uh, Hutus killed, was it a million Tutsis, two tribes that dominated Rwanda and Africa, uh, but that was preceded by weeks, maybe months of uh, hatred spewed out uh, by the Radio Mil Colin, which was the uh, the random radio station uh, aimed at the Hutus. 
And then you had the Bolsheviks of the 1920s with their propaganda trains going around the Soviet Union, uh, showing reels, showing that the bourgeoisie must be exterminated. And you had, uh, of course, the uh, Ukrainian propaganda talking about the Russians as orcs uh, and they, they as the sort of human beings and, the, and, 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 and Putin as Sauron and so on. And that can account for some of the savagery of the fighting in that benighted land. Well, I don't know which view to take, but it's worth uh, certainly mem remembering. And of course, these uh, tech giants do dominate our lives and they do have some weird views. I mean, this recalls, it's actually seven years ago now, so a whole generation has passed, but there's a few years ago, there's a guy called James Damore, who's a Google engineer. And like most engineers, he was clever and could work out that men and women are biologically different and had different preferences and interests and so on. And he made a, a gentle point about this on an internal memo for Google. And he was fired. And not only was he fired, but he was excoriated and dragged over the coals in social media and uh, no less a body than uh, an American um, federal labor bureau institution said that uh, Google were entirely justified in sacking him because his thoughts were hurtful. <laughs> and um, the Google people uh, had convened meetings and tried to have an open seminars on these things, which had to be canceled as well because it didn't create a safe space uh, for people to sit in an open uh, forum and discuss biological realities. So th these are the people who dominate our lives. I mean, every time you search on Google, which I do hundreds of times a day, uh, behind it are people with views like that. Um, obviously, uh, it, uh, one question I wanted to ask yesterday, actually I had a very interesting Indian woman on, is uh, is whether the India Indian media cover the fact that a lot of these uh, uh, tech corporations based in California are actually run by by Indian nationals. And I, I did some research on this cabal, if you like, and uh, there's a lot of talk that, that they, they formed the new left. I mean, they were very powerful in the Southern, South Africa in the 1980s, where they formed the intellectual cadre of the ANC, which of course toppled white rule. And um, they uh, are, the, the, there's a talk in some of their, blogs and so on, the internet never forgets, you know, uh, that um, it can be considered revenge for hundreds of years of colonialism. And uh, one person said that I, I'm quite happy. I really want to see these um, these whites queue up for a visa to Nigeria as we've been queuing up to visit their countries and them to experience the humiliation. This wasn't a, a senior tech executive, but it was associated with a senior tech executive, if I can be as specific, unspecific as that. Anyway, of course, they, um, the only uh, counter voice, of course, is uh, Elon Musk's X, which does allow all opinions. So I do advise you to carry on looking there if you want freedom. And of course, listening to TNT, and we try to bring you the full spectrum of views. Anyway, of course, we'll see if the tech companies will try and influence the 2024 election as they allegedly did in the 2020 election. But uh, we've got our eyes on them and we will try and bring you the unadulterated truth here on TNT. But now for today's news, we've got uh, our news producer, Basil Valentine, after the break. This is TNT Radio. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Basil. So do you use Google still or you've got any other search engines that you can recommend to our public? Uh, by default, I find myself sometimes using Bing because I do yeah. use uh, the Microsoft browser these days. 
it's mm. just about okay but then i go back to google um you know if the results aren't very good i mean google isn't what it was let's face it uh mm. it scrubbed out all sorts of independent media from its results uh, it yeah. scrubbed out all sorts of dissident narratives from its results yeah. so, so i mean it's okay if one is looking to uh buy a suitcase or something like that of course you know mm. something completely neutral with no political overtones um but mm. uh no i i don't use any of them if i'm uh, looking for genuine information i try and go straight to the source yeah or x maybe sometimes all that even x has been criticized for being a, a bit censorious sometimes but i mean i guess they're, they're better well, I, I, I use something called duck duck go but yes. they're not as good as google for the practical stuff that's the trouble well yours truly has been suspended from x for the last oh. week um oh yes so i hope to be reinstated at some point we'll see mm. so it's mm. you know uh, these things right. are as they are you know mm. but I, mm. I do still i'm in read only mode for viewers information so i can still read posts um right and in in terms of it being a source of up-to-date information yes it is very much mm. the go-to place in spite of my mm. hopefully temporary ban depending on who mm. you follow of course uh, that's mm. crucial but if you mm. follow the right people you can get you know really well informed opinion as well as absolutely the latest news direct mm. from people on the ground you know particularly uh, in gaza with the genocide and mass murder that's going on there which well anyway not... i think we've all been cancelled in various places and i regard that as a badge of honor i mean you only get the flack when you're over the target as they say um but not i that's mean that's right not... right exactly um so, so carry on following basil and he of course has you have got the latest <laughs> news from us uh, even though you have been uh, suspended briefly from uh, oh yeah X. i mean i'm um, still i'm still able to absorb as much news yeah, as yeah. ever before but it's just my avenues for regurgitation have been right uh, diminished marginally but mm. i was never a huge influencer on x you know i'd go no. to the tremendous number of 5000 followers but uh, mm -hmm. that's pretty insignificant anyway well, that's more than uh, me. Anyway, who knew yeah. pelly who knew there's a g20 summit has just wrapped up in brazil did you know it was even taking place down there in rio uh, not until you told me but i knew that brazil was actually the, the chair uh, i'm following brics issues a little bit but uh, it's uh, interesting yeah i mean that's a, a topic i'm really interested in so tell me about it well you know first of all as you as you say uh hardly made the headlines even though this is uh one of the very few remaining forums where foreign ministers from all countries all the the top 20 biggest economies in the world meet so sergey lavrov was there and he was uh, predictably harangued by the unelected david cameron uh, and mm. also by the dreadful german foreign minister annalena baerbock uh, but mm. more importantly the brazilians themselves took a lead um and said that they were trying to move away from the blame games uh if i can quote um mauro vieira 
the Brazilian top diplomat and foreign minister, said the explosion of global conflicts showed that international institutions such as the United Nations suffered from paralysis and that Brazil is trying to steer the G20 away from blame games to solutions. <clears throat> of course, yeah. uh, there was a furious row with Israel over Lula's comment uh, on the eve of the meeting that what is happening in Gaza is similar to the Holocaust. Uh, and since then, Israel and Brazil have broken off diplomatic relations, uh, making it very difficult for Tony Blinken and his isolation uh, mm. at the G20 with respect to the US position on Gaza has been highlighted. Um, well, I'm, I'm very uh, glad that all the leaders are meeting there, aren't you? I mean, uh, even though Lavrov yes. and... Uh, Blinken are apparently doing everything like enemies in the schoolyard to avoid looking at each other at the, that big table. It was quite funny, but who knows? I mean, maybe there are uh, back channel conversations. And of course, there are a lot of intermediaries ready to do that, that for them. I mean, practically everyone at that meeting, except the two principals, desperate for a peace deal. And um, I think it's interesting that countries like uh, Brazil and China and uh, and Turkey and so on in Indonesia. They're all big G20 countries. They all sort of escaping the see, seeing Russia. I mean, the, the East Europeans see Russia as an imperialist and maybe they are locally, but globally, the US is the imperialist. And uh, these large nations see Russia in, a, in terms of being uh, uh, liberating themselves and also liberating the other large nations from American hegemony. So they're seeing their chance also as diplomatic players, I think. And so what we're seeing at G20 is really the sort of emergence of a multipolar world. And and these countries become interesting and, and they often have these media outlets like TRT World in Turkey and uh, and uh, China has the Global Times, which I sometimes read, you know, and uh, you've got RT, which you can read on VPN. I don't know if Brazil has. So it's interesting to read all these voices, you know, and um, they 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 are sort of enjoying their moment in the sun, I think, aren't they, um, as probable mediators. And um, I think what I'm hoping is actually these things will go to, to the UN in New York, the UNGEA, uh, United Nations General Assembly. And I think I saw in the article you sent that the G20 will be assembling there at the same time. So, and I'm, that's entirely deliberate by Brazil because and I'm, I hope that all the fighting can be transferred to the UN. Um, of as course. It were. I mean, and that's exactly. what it was for. And, and, and that's yeah. what the Brazilians are saying. But yeah. the UN has been paralysed. Reform yeah. has been discussed for more than 30 years. And while everybody agrees that reform is necessary, I mean, you've got Brazil, a huge country, uh, population, hundreds of millions, um, but no seat on the Security Council. Uh, yeah. And then you've got a tiny UK, which invariably shackles itself to US foreign policy with a permanent mm. seat and a veto. Um, yeah. But of course, the countries with the vetoes are very reluctant to give them up. Uh, the yeah. current makeup of the Security Council, of course, having been made in the wake of the Second World War. But that was a long yeah. time ago now, and the world yeah. has moved on. Well, it'd be very interesting to see, I mean, in both India and Brazil, and maybe even South Africa as the most important South African country still, although maybe Egypt could compete with that. They all want seats, but the Russians are in a bind, I guess, because they want to help their global South friends, but they don't want to see their own power diluted. So I think they're making nice noises to these countries, but I, I'm, they're probably a bit reluctant 
And the Brits, of course, are very reluctant, you know. So, but it's, yeah, it's well, very Cameron, interesting. Cameron, mm. when it finished haranguing Lavrov, said that reform is necessary, but that global institutions should not be completely upended. Well, mm. of course not. Um, no. For his part, Josep Borrell was there, the EU Foreign Affairs Chief, and he said UN reform is not just about procedural change, but changing mindsets. He mm. said there'd been a strong consensus at the meeting for a two-state solution in the Middle East and hoped mm. that the Security Council might end the deadlock by recognising mm. the principle of the two-state solution through a unanimous resolution that could give it international legitimacy. And he said he expects a new Arab peace plan within the next few days. Mm. I mean, all this kind of boring stuff, as you might say, is music to my ears, actually. I mean, as long as long as they you have endless peace plans and they sit around at the UN and bat these things back and forth, I'm very happy, you know, because we need diplomacy. Yeah, I, and I think I, that's I, something I, that Western has, West has forgotten in its period of hegemony. You know, Russians say the Brits well, don't know right. how to do diplomacy. It's a, it's yeah. a sort of diplomatic ballet dance or opera, isn't it? That's you right. Know? Yeah, uh, yeah, of you know, very careful choreography and very, very carefully chosen words when yeah. you know making any kind of statement. Mm. It's all highly nuanced, as you know, and the, yeah, you know who speaks to who and who has lunch That's with right. who and all the rest of it. Um, and and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Always more jaw jaw than war war. But unfortunately, and, the mm. slaughter in Gaza is continuing. To this day, dozens more killed overnight, Pelly. Mm. Well, we must never forget that. Um, and any other developments on the ICJ front, um, which is a, a diplomatic possibility there? Well, the, the Americans made their presentation to the ICJ this week and said that uh, the ICJ, about the occupation, the Israeli occupation of Palestinian land, and said that uh, any w ending of the occupation would endanger Israel's security, uh, which mm. is obviously sort of, they were the only people to say that. Uh, and obviously that's um, an excuse for unending occupation, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, Although and, the Brits, Brits say they might stop. In a way, it's mythical as well. It's sort of like, mm. you, you know, you can, any country, any individual can always claim they feel insecure. And... Arrogate powers to themselves in order to combat that insecurity, when in fact the whole thing may be entirely fallacious. And we had that in the House of Commons this week, where the Speaker Lindsay Hoyle uh, started making up some nonsense about peace protesters posing a threat to MPs. I mean, total mm. one hundred percent garbage, mendacious and sinister garbage. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what they learned the first year in international relations: that one person's aggression is another person's defensiveness and so you have this escalation the russians insist that they're fighting a, a defensive war against the encroaching nato and the nato says oh look that's russian aggression and they escalate and the russians escalate so you have this escalation cycle anyways i think we've got to end there for today's uh, news talk analysis uh, basil it was great to talk to you again and uh, i guess we'll talk on monday and i hope uh, everything goes well over the weekend with you and uh, we're going to take a break now. Uh, this is TNT Radio. Thank you. TNT's Chris Smith. You know, there's nothing humane in the boat people, people smuggler trade. Nothing in nothing humane about it or compassionate about it at all. This has always been one of the great delusions 
of the left. And if they didn't learn that lesson from the tragedy of the uh, Rudd and Gillard government, when over a thousand people drowned on, on the oceans to the north of Australia, if they didn't learn that lesson about a thousand people, including women and children, drowning, well, they're very slow learners and they're bound to repeat that mistake. But that's because their ideology superseded the practicalities of the issue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Albanese from the left was always ideologically bound, almost fanatical, hysterical, about saying if you don't believe in taking all the refugees, then you're some sort of barbarian, a racist, a bigot from Western Sydney. Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to the Pelinero's Taylor Show. Here we are committed to freedom, and part of that freedom, in my show anyway, is to promote people who talk about living longer and healthier and better lives. And I'm very happy to welcome Alexander Grinberg, who's with us from California, and he's a director of clinical research at AVAX and clinical advisor at Neo7 Bioscience in the US, which is our biotech companies devoted to manipulating our inner organs and molecules to make sure that we live longer and better lives. Welcome, Alex. How are you today? Um, good evening. Uh, thank uh, you for good morning. the morning. <laughs> Great to, to talk to you. Um, you are engaged in, in sort of um, complicated science, but can you tell it so that uh, idiots like myself can understand in what sense it actually increases and how far you've got and, and where you want to go next? W- what is it that you're working with uh, for Neo7 Bioscience, for example? Actually, I'm working with uh, a number of uh, biotech companies and uh... Uh, my passion is in the bringing uh, knowledge from uh, advanced biotech technologies of and fundamental science into something that people can uh, can use now to increase their lifespan to improve their health span and uh, one of the companies i'm working with is uh, neo7 uh, this company is specializing in uh, uh, very deep and extensive analysis of uh, uh, s- signaling between cells and tissues, determining a uh, huge number of uh, uh, signaling uh, in the form of uh, molecules, mostly peptides that are responsible for communication between cells and tissues, uh, healthy as well as uh, pathological uh, pathological process and uh, pathological uh, lesions uh, like tumors. Uh, after analyzing that, the company is uh, custom designing their individualized uh, peptides that uh, supposed to correct this faulty signaling between cells, uh, tissue. Can I just interrupt you? What what is a peptide? Uh, peptide is a short molecule consisting of. Uh, a few amino acids. Uh, the number of amino acids peptide is made of usually not more than 30. 
It's uh, relatively short chain molecules, but uh, uh, they are produced by virtually all cells and intercellular structures uh, to facilitate uh, all, uh, um, we can say, communication between, uh, between intercellular structures and extracellularly. And uh, uh, they basically, they're everywhere and they, um, uh, they let us uh, communicate, uh, they function as a one uh, enormously huge system like a universe, but they uh, help cells to exchange information and to trigger necessary uh, changes inside the cells. Uh, they penetrate the cell membranes. Some of them penetrate the intracellular structures and uh, responsible for activating expression of certain genes or regu uh, participate in uh, regulation of uh, expression of the genes. They mm. also facilitate function of intercellular structures like mitochondria or ribosomes responsible for either energy production or uh, translation and uh, how and the proteins are coded and uh, uh, synthesized in the cell. So it's vast and uh, extremely important. Just as I will, we'll go into a break in a second for news headlines, but just you, from my, what I understand is that you're trying to target tumors via the peptides, targeting the peptides, these things you've been talking about. Why did you choose peptides? Why are they particularly promising for combating cancers? First, uh, uh, peptides uh, can target uh, any any signaling any signaling uh, inside the cell and outside the cell. It's uh, relatively easy to synthesize them, and uh, when pro used properly, uh, they appear to cause significantly less uh, side effects and significantly less severe side effects. Uh, then uh, uh, synthetic uh, chemical uh, uh, small molecular drugs that use for the same purposes. Good. Okay. Well, we'll carry on talking about this uh, after a quick break for the news headlines. This is Alex Brig uh, Grinberg, uh, uh, an eminent biotechnologist who's going to extend our lives. This is TNT Radio. What a news day this is turning out to be. Let's finish it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Incredible visions emerged out of Spain where a fire has engulfed two high-rise buildings, killing multiple people. Nigeria's defence chief has slammed the West for allowing its weapons to end up in the hands of terrorists. Iran has blamed Israel for last week's explosions that ruptured two of the country's key gas pipelines. And a police officer in Australia has been charged with murdering his ex-boyfriend and his new partner before disposing of their bodies. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Welcome back to the Pelin Taylor Show. We're talking biotechnology and life extension today with Alex Grinberg, who runs several biotech companies in California and is talking to us about peptides. 
and how they can uh, shrink tumors. Um, is that the, uh, the the peptides target uh, the tumors? Is that the only function of the peptides? To, it, it, I mean, is there another, another technique for increasing the uh, lives or is it just by the effect on cancers that makes all the difference in this particular project that you're doing? Longevity is such an enormous uh, field that uh, uh, there are so many different uh, processes that uh, can be affected in different ways. And uh, mm. it's a very interesting field because we see uh, uh, so many different pathways, so many different ways by which cells and uh, physiological systems uh, live and uh, how the something that we refer to as time is recorded in our genetic information and how we might try to alter this and uh, to avoid risks and dangers related to uh, altering something so deep and uh, uh, very specific for species. How far have you got in terms of uh, clinical trials and so on? And, and what, are the, what are the obstacles that you see to realize what are the the biggest challenges that you're facing going forward? Uh, in my opinion, the biggest challenge is that uh, uh, aging is very uh, specific process, specific for each individual. And the way that once is aging, uh, it's uh, not uniform. Uh, for this reason, uh, currently, uh, everything uh, related to uh, affecting uh, lifespan, extending life, reversing age is, uh, uh, let's say, very specific, very customized. And uh, it's uh, very different from current uh, paradigm uh, in by which the pharmaceutical industry is operating, uh, where they base research on studying huge groups of uh, patients or people similar condition to uh, find statistically which intervention is efficient. For aging, mm -hmm. it's very different, and we need to work with each individual separately. As mm -hmm. uh, obviously, everyone is aging differently depending on very unique uh, genome setup of everyone. And it's, it strikes me as an amateur to the subject that we, I mean, some organs can be perfectly fine when we die. I mean, but it's one organ, that particular organ that kills us. And so if we could just solve that problem, we could live much, much longer. Um, and that's why we have transplants, presumably, because the kidneys might be fine and so on. But do some, so do some organs age much slower than others and some organs age much faster? And would it make sense to target those particular faster aging organs? Uh, yes, that's, uh, um, you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, while, uh, uh, while it happens, it happens differently in each person. And uh, mm. uh, that's what we see, whether the person has some chronic disease, some uh, uh, degenerative disease related to aging, or even relatively healthy, still uh, different organs and tissues uh, age differently in uh, every person. Mm. Uh, it's not only that some particular organ gets older, it's uh, that the general uh, miscommunication between system uh, systems accumulates as uh, there is some uh, uh, loss of synchronicity between uh, divisions in different organs and tissues. That's also an important factor. 
definitely if uh, some organs uh, lose their function, like uh, developing kidney failure or hepatic failure, uh, it uh, creates a uh, uh, very significant impact and shortens the life expectation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we see, the transplants replacing these organs helps dramatically both to improve health and to prolong life. Mm. And one of the ways uh, for longevity is cloning person-owned tissues, creating uh, new organs that will definitely mm. be a very significant contribution to improving lifespan and uh, longevity. So basically, if we are able to harvest organs or create them artificially, we and and implant them into us we can actually live rather long lives um and what you're saying just to re- re- repeat you're saying that not only do different organs age differently um but organs age differently from person to person so let's just say the kidney kidney in person a can age at a faster rate than the person in kidney uh, person b with his kidney so it's incredibly complex isn't it um, this is incredibly complex and it's uh, as we have to deal with the uh, body, the organism as a whole, uh, so any, and uh, that's where we can uh, um, get back to peptides because any organ, any group of cells and tissues in the body communicates with the rest of the body uh, through biological signals. Many of them are peptides based, and uh, mm. uh, there is a uh, as we can imagine, extremely complex uh, symphony of communication between cells, tissues, and uh, uh, different biochemical systems in the body. It sounds almost incredibly complicated. I mean, um, do you uh, collaborate with, is there a sort of universe of companies who all have your work divided up? Uh, uh, Do you have an overview of what needs to be done, or are you still sort of trying to map out what we need to be done. I mean, how, yeah, I just can't imagine what it is that you're doing that, I mean, how confident are you that we'll ever find out these things and what time span, in the next 10 years, next 20 years? I'll just Uh, give you an example. Yeah, Uh, just interrupt quickly. I have a friend who works in in, in, uh, biotech and uh, he said, "Ah, give me a very simple, he said, Okay, by 2030, death will have been abolished. And I thought, wow, you know, that's a, that's a catchy phrase, but I, I, I don't quite trust him. So you give me a, a moderating opinion about that. Yes. Uh, so ba- based on my experience in the field and working, collaborating with a huge number of uh, biotechnical companies, I, I feel very optimistic about life extension and uh, probably beyond our expectations. Uh, At the same time, for the uh, terms, how soon it will be accomplished, uh, this is really hard to say, but I see exponential growth in many supportive technologies. So by supportive, I mean, uh, people should understand that there is developing nanotechnology that can provide uh, real-time sensors from inside the cell and from even inside the organelles, organoids. Uh, there is growing mm-hmm. field of molecular informatics, comparative genetics, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. many other branches of biology, biophysics, mm-hmm. biochemistry, uh, that uh, I see develop very fast, and uh, each of them mm-hmm. might have some breakthrough that will expedite their, um, mm-hmm. our understanding and ability to affect 
uh, very mm. deep intimate processes inside the cells, inside the mm. DNA and RNA molecules, and uh, uh, how they uh, interact and what happens. So I'm f I feel very optimistic. And uh, well, I, I expect that within the next 10 to 20 years, we'll see amazing things happen in the field. Mm. Alex, uh, what you're saying is absolutely fascinating. And um, we would love to discuss these things further, uh, but we're going to go into our next guest now. So we'll take a break there. And uh, thank you very much, Alex Grinberg from California, a very, very experienced and interesting topic. Thank you very much, Alex. This is TNT Radio. We're going into break now. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. We just have got a great example. It's on CFAC. If you Google CFAC, you'll see it. A blog that says climate alarmists like Senator Whitehouse are fueling anxiety in young people. Now, Sheldon Whitehouse is basically a carpetbagger. He's up in Rhode Island. He came from North Carolina. He knows absolutely zero about the history of New England hurricanes. If he does know something about it, then all his posturing about how bad hurricanes are getting in New England have to be complete lies. You know why? We've just gone through the longest stretch of time in the last 150 years of no hurricane hits in New England. It's a record drought of hurricane hits on the New England coast. But you got this guy up there and he's a Rhode Island senator and he realizes that's about the only place he can get elected senator, maybe in Connecticut, but they have established Democrats there. And he just spouts off and says stuff that has nothing to do with reality. And I would love to debate this guy. It would be like having someone I'd love to wrestle, just mop the floor with them. But listen to this, this came from Bloomberg Green. In the most critical cases, climate anxiety disrupts the ability to function day to day. Children and young people in this category feeling alienation from friends and family, distress when thinking about the future, and intrusive thoughts about those who will survive, according to this guy's research, Heckman. Patients who obsessively check for extreme weather, read climate change studies, and pursue radical activism, well, they seem to be in the norm. Some devastatingly consider suicide as the only solution. Now, who is responsible for that? Who's responsible for that? Certainly not the climate, certainly not the weather. We have four times the amount of people on the planet than we did in 1930 with 128 the climate deaths. It's people like Sheldon Whitehouse. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Deconstructing PSYOPs, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Uh, thanks for being for listening to my show. We've got, uh, this is Pella Neroth-Taylor's show on TNT Radio. We've got uh, Stephen Dorrell, who's an academic, uh, a writer, and uh, an expert on the intelligence agencies, who's been associated with Huddersfield University in the UK, and who's written uh, the seminal book, M MI6, Inside the Covert World of Her Majesty's Secret Intelligence Service, and many other papers and books on intelligence matters. Uh, welcome, Stephen. How are you today? Feeling good. Good to see you. Um, 
good to see you. Um, I'm just, um, I've read your book several times over the years, actually. It's kind of been a reference a work for me. It's a book to read. Yeah, yeah. Well, one dips into these things, you know, and then you dip out. Um, and I had a look at it again this morning, and I probably won't fit in all these questions that I wanted to ask you, so maybe I have to make it another time. But um, you probably know this. I mean, the there's a lot about the CIA, I mean, in the American, and it, the CIA is a kind of prominent position in the American imagination and uh, every journalist worth his salt has written something about it the CIA it sometimes seems and it's part of the general discourse even in the in the in the big media you know CIA does this CIA did that you know but MI6 is far less often mentioned even though there is just as competent or incompetent or whatever they're just as active as CIA and you've written a book about it why is this enormous difference between the UK and the US intelligence agencies in terms of what we know about them? Um, well, I think there are a number of factors. There's One is obviously that the CIA is much, much bigger. MI6 is comparatively small. I mean, the CIA spends and the, the general American intelligence services spend billions of dollars and uh, MI6 doesn't. It's but it also, I think it's down to different cultures. America, for all its faults, does have fundamentally the idea of transparency in some of its government actions, and that includes the intelligence services. And uh, you can talk to former CIA officers after a certain period, and they, and they will talk to you. Whereas... Mm. The UK is a very secretive country. It's embedded in the system, in the or lack of constitution, in the way that the country operates. Um, MI6 is probably the most secret part. It doesn't release files. There is nothing. Mm. If your mother or father perhaps worked, or you think they worked for MI6, it will never confirm or deny that they did. Everything is just secret. So it's much mm. more difficult to investigate. Uh, it's easier now with the CIA because they've released actually millions of files which you can mm. go to online. It's mm. There's a lot of material there that you can go at. Mm. And so well, for somebody like me, yeah, it'd be much easier to do the CIA. MI6, so you, mm, incredibly mm. difficult. Well, so, I mean, in a way, the, 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 the people investigating the CIA, the writers in America, are climbing Matterhorn, and you've climbed K2's North Face or something. I mean, <laughs> your job is much harder, and there's not many like you. I mean, there's two or three writers I know off the top of my head. But yours is the one uh, that's stuck in my mind, and that's why I want to talk to you. Um, so, what? well, I mean, next question is, what was the uh, what were the challenges then? How did you write this book? I mean, did you... What sources well, did you use? How did you research it? I, I, I'm very influenced by an American professor called Peter Dale Scott, who in the 1960s started to write about the secret world. And he said, people don't realize how much material is in the public domain. Government reports, academic studies and the like, which nobody was reading. And then mm. in the early 80s, I began to think, well, maybe we could apply that to the UK. Uh, let's look at what's actually been published. So it was really kind of 10 years of reading everything and putting the jigsaw together and reading like the entire who's who 
to see who uh, maybe it indicates that they work for the intelligence services. Read all the foreign office diplomatic lists from 1945 mm. up to 1980 um, and gather all the material and find every book that's been published about intelligence, foreign policy, etc., and go through those. I was uh, attacked by Christopher Andrew, the kind of the leading intelligence uh, mm. academic, who said at some conference, this person even reads newspapers. Uh, mm. He thought they weren't worthwhile as a source for intelligence. But I pointed out to him that the obituaries in the Times and Telegraph for MI6 officers were written by yeah. a certain MI6 officer. So right, there is yeah. material in the public domain. You just have to keep digging and digging. Too many yeah. academics, particularly now, only go to the National Archives. They never venture mm -hmm. out. They don't talk to people. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't delve into past records and things much. So it's, well, it's just I've, big troll. I've I've done much less work than you in, in the National Archives, okay? But I, I've... Um... I'm half Swedish, so I've been investigating some of the UK's uh, alleged dealings with Sweden, and uh, we'll get to that maybe. But I, I, you know, um, the start, trouble is, uh, I look up the uh, National Archives files on Norway and Sweden. The Norwegian archives, uh, the topic of Norway was absolutely packed with interesting information. And then I was waiting for the Swedish archives for the next year to open up. This was 1980 and 81 in Norway. And then I looked up, 1982 was a dramatic year for, for Swedish Cold War relations and events. The, it was practically empty. So either nothing happened in diplomatic British-Swedish relations, or they simply filleted it. So you wonder, yeah. what? how can you be a historian when you don't know with what you see is the whole story? Because A... Uh, that allegedly, they they might just simply fillet it and throw it away. B, they might store it in a second place. There was a Guardian expose a few years ago where there's a place in Hertfordshire where they had this right. all this stuff about the British colonial past. I don't know if it's accessible. Uh, MI6 pipers might, might be never accessible. And then final thing is may, most of the important things might not be put down on paper. Or maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they are just bureaucrats to the bottom of their fingertips. Or maybe they're not. So there's all these uncertainties, isn't there? I mean, yes. And Absolutely. And then when you talk to MI6 officers, and of course, a lot of academics refuse to actually interview them because uh, it's mm. not on paper, etc. Right. Uh, and they will tell you an entirely different story from what's mm. in the records. You know, I've and do you trust them? Or, because, I mean, disinformation is one of the, the parts of the toolkit of intelligence officers. But are they yes. reliable? I mean, well, you find, I think get... there comes a stage where they want their place in history. They yeah. think that they did a very good, worthwhile job. And mm. some of them get annoyed that there's no recognition of that in any form. So mm. they do want to talk. I mean, it's it's not completely open, but they will. I mean, I, I've seen some pieces about say, a particular operation in Southeast Asia. And then you get to talk to um, the actual officer and he said, it's nonsense, he said. You know, basically, we were given the instruction to go and gather intelligence about so-and-so, and then it's up to us mm. and we go and do it. And mm. uh, they talk about, you know, they had a great time doing it, uh, which yeah. is not, in, that kind of stuff's not in the record. And they, and they will tell you things about people they, kind of recruited new worked with but then as you the things you said are, are true i mean mi6 trawls through uh american records 
and it once had a team of a dozen researchers whose job was actually mm. to fill it the records so there was no mention mm. of mi6 which mm. really annoys cia officers because they say well it's history it's in the public domain now um, wow. but they are very good at covering their tracks mi6 but wow. i'm a freudian so i think you cannot conceal everything it comes out in one form or another yeah uh, and there are more well there, there are probably in the last five years probably been about half a dozen self-published memoirs by mi6 officers wow um so there is material there but you, you just you keep digging is I'll, it really um, yeah. is, is a good question yeah. but mm. i think once you collect a large amount of material in, and you test it against other pieces mm. you can come to some kind of truth and mm. a, a lot of my work is about trying to get the basics what who were yeah. the people involved what were the organizations mm. where were they in a particular period mm. and then you look at what was happening in um saigon in 1970 or something and uh see mm. who was there and if they've written anything about it it's possible just but hard um I was, um, I mean, I, I wish we'd had one, a uh, two-hour interview, actually. But anyway, uh, it's an, another 10 minutes to go. Um, I, the most, so the phrase that really jumped out at me in the whole book, uh, because I was down in South Africa recently, and I'm talking to some South African intelligence, former South African intelligence officials, because um, there's the, the Swedes are con convinced that the South Africans bumped off the Swedish prime minister, Olaf Palme, in 1986. Right. And that's like the Kennedy assassination of of, of Sweden. And um, I got some confirmation on that. Uh, but we also talked about um, who was an asset and who wasn't in South Africa in the 1980s. And they were saying um, that the current president was a, was a, a uh, South African intelligence assets. And they, they said that their main opponents were MI6 and not the Soviets. The Soviets, the Soviet enemy was just for the birds. I mean, that was for the public to get them to hate the, the red threat. But they were in this right. locked into a war with MI6. And when you said that uh, MI6 hooked in Mandela, I mean, that's an astonishing claim, but you didn't elaborate on it. So I was what? very, very careful. Okay, you don't about have to elaborate that. on it now. You can just say it because I, I just cheated well, on the question, Nick. Because my question that I wrote to you was about was what was the yeah you didn't have to answer it. I, I think I, I can perfectly understand why the South Africans think that, uh, and there is an element I think of schizophrenia with regard to MI6. On one hand, yes, uh, there were um, operations against South Africa, but at the same time, it's very very clear that MI6 also helped um unconsciously they helped operations against apartheid that you can see for instance that the way that um mandela's people got into south africa and got out of south africa was down a what's they call a pipeline and mm. that pipeline was controlled by mi6 mm. now one of the problems of dealing with the idea of agents and assets is that MI6 developed the idea of unconscious agents, i.e. Mm -hmm. agents who were recruited but didn't know they'd been recruited. 
Right. Uh, they did this very well. This is one of Morris Oldfield, the uh, yeah. head of MI6, the chief, and he used it a lot. And they would mm. recruit people within campaign groups, universities, a very young age, in the background, mm. and help them on the way. Then at some stage in the future, they would go to them and say, we'd like you to do this. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, why should I? But And they said, well, we've been helping you for the last 10 years. You right. got that job because we helped to get it. And right. this is what happened with uh, opponents of apartheid, that there were people who were helped. And I think that Mandela was one of those. Mm. And if you look at all the people he was involved in when he went into exile and was in London and later, mm. uh, they all have MI6 backgrounds. Now, that doesn't wow. mean he, he was recruited. Mm. And I, it's a very difficult term, but they were certainly helped. Mm. Uh, and they were trying to split them off from the Soviets. They did not yeah. want uh, the groups to become communist. Mm -hmm. And so they would help people who within the anti-apartheid movement who were anti-communist. Mm. Um, so it, it was a, a complicated campaign, the, but it certainly took absolutely, place. Absolutely fascinating. Um, the, but the, this thing about unconscious agents, are you saying that, that MI6 didn't announce themselves when they first started supporting them and then he said haha i've been your friend for 10 years and now i'm mi6 and and you can't go go back on it now because otherwise we'll expose you as mi6 and that'll do yes. terrible things for your reputation so they've kind of yes. locked them in in that way they did yeah. i mean uh, an example um a kind of wider one was a uh, uh which I, I i dealt with a couple of years ago was a magazine called flamingo which uh, MI6 funded and set up in London in the early 1960s as a black magazine, which mm. sold widely in Africa and mm. introduced many big African writers, poets, artists to the mm. world through mm. the magazine. No mm. one knew about the funding except one person. Mm -hmm. uh, but... MI6 helped it on its way. So mm. wow. they're, they're clever. These, you know, these are clever people. Because you could argue that um, um, we haven't got time for more questions, so we'll just finish up on the South Africa theme, um, that um, the, the government that South Africa ended up with, apparently Mandela had SAS bodyguards as well, which of course was convenient, you know, but uh, yes. was a government that Britain could live with because it wasn't, didn't... Um, I mean, Britain's economic interests in South Africa were preserved after uh, Mandela came to power. So he, they he didn't betray them. both events. Yeah, I think they, mm. the, their um, efforts in various places in Africa and Southeast yeah. Asia was to kind of shape the government and mm. put into place mm. people who. Ste Stephen, I'm sorry, we we've got a break there for the for the, but we'd love to have you on again, That's and okay. uh, it was a great chat, incredibly illuminating. Thank you very much, Stephen Dorrell, uh, MI6 expert from Huddersfield. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. This is TNT Radio.